When I was in California last week, um, I had a lot more time than I typically do, and uh, also it was a lot quieter than it typically is in my house. I was, they always put us up in these big hotel rooms, and, and uh, so one night I was trying to go to bed, and it was so quiet. I don't do really well with quiet. And so I turned on some music on my phone just to give me some... Um, just to give some ambient noise. So it wasn't as good as my kids, but it was ambient noise. And I, that morning, because I was an hour earlier, I woke up like at 5 o'clock or at, at uh, may have been 4.30, and, um, and this song was going on about new wine in old wineskins. And I hadn't even heard, ever heard it before. And Spotify has this habit of once you get down to the end of your playlist, it starts picking out songs that are kind of like the songs you were listening to. And that new that thought of new wine in old wineskins just captivated my heart. And I began to study it, and I um, began I listened to a uh, a messianic Jewish. Uh, brother who knew about those historic times and listened to him talk about it. And the more I listened, the more encouraged I was about how this applies to our lives. And I think that the song that we sang, uh, Holiness, really exemplifies what each one of us want. It's what we long for. But what the Lord dropped in my heart from thinking about this idea of new wine in in old wineskins or new wine in new wineskins is sometimes we, we get that chorus going over in our heart. Holiness, holiness, it's what I long for. Holiness, holiness, it's what I need. And then we begin to ask ourselves, do I really want holiness? Do I re- And all of a sudden, what should be, what is, because we're here and we love the Lord, that is, what, when we say we want to be more like Jesus, that is what we're saying. But the devil so craftily gets in there and begins to plant doubt in our hearts and cause us to wonder, do we, do we really want holiness? Do we really want to be like Jesus? And we lose that joy of the reality of what He's doing in our lives every single day because we're in Him. We lose that joy, again, through that introspection that we just begin to... And I hope that what the Lord has given me to share this morning will help that. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5 and verse number 36... Jesus speaking a parable to them. It says, and then he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear. And also, the piece that was taken out of the new does not match with the old. And no one puts new wine 
in old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled. And the wineskins will be ruined, but new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us hear your word today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the reality of your work inside of each one of us, Lord, we would appreciate that reality today more than ever before, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in each one of our lives, Lord. I pray that you would um, get me out of the way, Lord, and just speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to be clear, this is not a message about or against works or against obeying the Lord. This message is about resting in the work that Jesus has already done. Two verses came to mind as I was thinking about that. In John 15, 5, it says, Jesus says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. But the most important part is the last sentence. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The way I like thinking about that verse is that the Lord goes and packages up little packages of grace for us. We don't have to, we're not, it's not, because of Anthony is inspiring me, I've been working out a lot more lately, and I have muscles that I never knew existed, and I asked my doctor, I said, do you have a, do I have a muscle here? Yep, you have a muscle there, and I mean, things hurt that I had no idea could hurt, and that's not the way these works are done. It's not about trying to work really, really, really hard It's as if God created a treasure hunt for us. And with the work that He's given us to do, He gives us grace. He gives us power. He gives us everything we need to do what He's called us to do. Therefore, without Him, we can do nothing. So I think the context around this story, or this parable that Jesus Um, shared is important because in all of the gospels where this story is recounted the these three historical events it's sandwiched between these different chapter i mean sometimes it runs into the next chapter but it's always sandwiched between three stories and it's interesting a lot of times when you when you see jesus's parables You'll see one parable after another, after another. Jesus is teaching. But this is different. This is one parable, and all the gospel writers included these three stories, I believe, to describe the new wine that's being, that's being talked about in the parable. The first one is Luke 15, 17 to 26, where Jesus talks about 
where, where, where they, the, the gospel writers talk about the story of the man who, who was paralyzed and had four friends, and his friends knew that if they could get him to Jesus, Jesus could heal, them, heal their friend, and yet when they tried to go in through the front door or the back door or the side door, there was no room because there were so many people crowded around Jesus. But these friends didn't give up. They climbed up on the roof with their paralyzed friends. They ripped the roof apart and they, they lit, let down their friend in front of Jesus. And then something amazing happens. And it's not the amazing thing that you'd think. You know, if, if we were in a service right now, like we are right now, and all of a sudden, someone gets laid, gets stretchered in down from the ceiling with a sign that says, I have cancer. Or I can't walk. What would our first response be? We'd think, oh, call for the elders of the church. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Let's pray. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus forgave the man's sins. And so the first thing about new wine is that Jesus can forgive any sin. And that the the health of our spirit, the health of our spiritual man is way more important to him than any miracle that he can do. Now, I love how Jesus ended up working that miracle. It says that they all were up in a, they were all going crazy because he had said he could forgive sins. And he said, just so you know that I can forgive sin, rise and walk. He only healed the, he only healed the man so that he could prove that he had power to forgive sins. The second story, is the story of Jesus and the tax collector. Tax collector became one of his disciples, Matthew, um, and that's in Luke 5, 27 to 32. And after these things, he went out and saw a tax collector called, named Levi. Um, I'm almost, yeah, I'm almost, it doesn't in another scripture, it, it identifies this as Matthew, I think, too. This particular version doesn't. But then, and so it says, he, he said, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And so he left all, rose up and followed him. And, and then Levi gave him a great feast in his house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others that sat down with him. And the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, says, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, they who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, one of the things that I believe is being illustrated here is Jesus realized that his ministry was not just to his disciples the ones that were close to him, the ones that were the, the, the following closest to his teachings, those disciples, 
his ministry was to those that were lost. And one thing that the Lord has been convicting me of, I am not a natural evangelist. I can talk to Christians about Jesus all day long, every day, and twice on Sunday. I love talking to Christians about Jesus. But if we only ever draw people to our church that are just like us, who are hungry just like us, who want more of Jesus just like us, if we end up becoming a church full of well people, I don't think that we... We'll, we won't live up to our name of being a community church. Because there are people in our community who are sick. There are people in our community who, maybe they've heard of Jesus, maybe they know about church, but they really don't know what it is to be born again. They really don't know what it is to have their sins washed away and become white as snow And so we don't want to be content. I don't want to be content with just having people that are just like me, that desire, that are hungry for more of the Lord like me, that, that I can just, we can talk all the same lingo too, and we all understand each other. No, we want to do what Jesus did in that parable and go into the highways and byways and compel those that are lost to come. And then the last, the last story that's included in all of, all of the accounts that I read is in Luke 6 and verse number 1. And it's the story of how Jesus, or how Jesus is walking through these grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples plucked heads of grain and rubbed them together. And just by doing that, they upset the Pharisees because here the disciples had worked on the Sabbath. But Jesus had an answer for them in verse 3. He said, but Jesus answering them, the Pharisees said, have you not read this? What David did when he was hungry, he went and those who were with him and how he went to the house of God and took and ate showbread and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priest. Um, and then that the son of and he said to them, the son of man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. And then Jesus goes on and he heals on the Sabbath, and he says uh, in verse number nine. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing: Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he said to them around him, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he did so, and he was restored. Again, Jesus is making a point that in in this contrast of new versus old, the heart towards life is more important than the following of a rule. Jesus realized that he didn't disobey the rule. He realized that his action actually fulfilled the rule and his heart was towards the person who needed life from Jesus. And so, as we now move, I want to talk about that new wine in the context of those verses. 
One thing that we notice at the end, at the end of the section I read in Luke 5, is he said, And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires the new, for he says the old is better. And from everything I can research, the older the wine is, the better it is. The more it ages and all those kind of things, I'm not a wine connoisseur, so I'm speaking completely out of research here, but the more expensive it is, the better it is. But that's not the way it is with Jesus. In John 2, verse number 1, actually, in 1 to 12, we read the story of Jesus at the wedding of Cana. And for the sake of time, let's start in verse number 7. After Mary had, come, had, had realized there was a problem, after she had th- known and told the, the servants that Jesus had the solution to the problem, what, the, the way she said it was, whatever he says, do it. And after Jesus told, Jesus now has the, the floor, and Jesus said uh, to the servants, fill the jars with water, and, he, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some of the water and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and he did not know where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, and the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when the people had have drunk freely, then, they, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And the reason I, I read those examples first about the stories that surround this parable is I believe that this understanding of new wine, this understanding, new wine in this example, is Jesus. It's the new birth. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us. And if, and, and if we read these, these examples around this thing, we realize that Jesus was turning everything on its head. It wasn't about following rules anymore. It was about show it was about showing love to people and 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 having and and giving life to people. It wasn't about it wasn't the physical wasn't as important as the spiritual. As in the example of the paralytic, he 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 first forgave him and then healed him. And in the same way with this new wine, the the, the old rules don't apply anymore. And so one of the things that happens in when when you have new wine, we, we make kombucha at our house and and it and as the as it and Kiefer does it, as it ferments, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it just it swells up. And this is why the Bible tells us that we can't put new wine in old wineskins. You know, uh, let me re- I'm going to read this in a different version from Mark 2, Mark chapter 2. It says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth of an old garment or else 
the new garment pulls away from the old and the tear is made worse. No one puts new wine into old wineskins or else the new wine bursts the wineskins, the wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine must be put in new wineskins. So what I want to do for a second is imagine and and talk a little bit about how does this apply to us? If we're the wineskins, if we're the shirt that needs to be patched, how is it that we can go through the new birth, be saved, experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the reality of that in our lives, experience the fullness of Jesus, and yet we can be compared to old wineskins where as it swells within us, it bursts and spills out on the floor. I think the way that happens is this. I believe that many times as Christians, we forget that Christianity isn't about patching our sin. We treat the gospel as a band-aid for our problem. A sensitive conscience is a blessing. Having a, a, the Bible tells us having a conscience void of offense is a blessing. But I have noticed in more people, in some of my children, and in my siblings, and in my own life at times, the devil can get in there if we don't understand this principle. And we think that what, uh, what Christianity is, is about us putting band-aids on all the problems that we have. Putting, oh, oh, I, I might have told a lie. Put a band-aid on it. Oh, I might have thought an impure thought. Put a band-aid on it. That is an old wineskin. That's not what it means to have Jesus, the life of Jesus swelling up inside of us to the point where we're going to burst, except that we not only have new wine, but He's given us a new wineskin. And... When I got done preaching last month, the one thing that I sat down and I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said the greatest hindrance to that life, that life of, 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 of choosing that best thing, of having that one thing, the, the great one, and, one pure and holy passion, is this condemnation that the devil uses in God's people. People who love Jesus with all of their heart, and yet the devil uses their desire to have a clear conscience to put them under condemnation and cause them to live under condemnation for years. But I believe that if we understand that the gospel... The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not a band-aid. That's like a complete transformation. It's like a complete, I was this 
And I am this now. And I just want to just, this isn't even in my notes. But if you struggle with that, I've struggled with that before. When the Lord convicted me of a sin, I was kind of like Martin Luther, where I felt like there was no way for me to, to chastise myself enough. Martin Luther would, would, would sit in his, and he would flail his back till it was bloody, to make, to like somehow atone until he understood justification by faith. Until he understood the work of the cross, he tried to inflict pain upon himself to make himself feel more sorry. That isn't what we... That's not the the covenant we're under anymore. We're not under the Band-Aid covenant. We're not under the, oh, I made a sin, I better run to the altar and make a sacrifice and burn it. Okay, now I feel better for the five minutes until I do something else wrong. No, our lives are covered by His blood. The price that Jesus paid on the cross doesn't just, doesn't just take care of one sin. It doesn't just take care of one mistake. It takes care of all of our sin. It takes care of all of our mistakes. And so I want to encourage you that if you sometimes just feel this sense of gloom and doom and you feel like, oh, there's no way that I can serve the Lord because I did this. I want you to put your head up high and I want you to point the devil back to the cross and say, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Not all to me I owe. Not all that I've done or I can do, but all that Jesus has done. And if we, if, you know, we're all close here. We're like a family. And so if one of, one of you come to me or I come to one of you and you sense that spirit of condemnation, there's a big difference between conviction of sin and condemnation from the devil. Did you know that? Conviction of sin, the best explanation I ever heard, conviction of sin always gives us a way of escape. It's The Lord says, okay, don't do this, do this, and you do it. And there's no, there's no gloom and doom, there's no, there's no, oh, I'm never going to make it, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so terrible. That's condemnation. There's no spirit of condemnation that comes from Him. His cross paid it all. And therefore, there is no room for any one of us to ever feel that way. And so if we come to one another and we have that gloom and doom condemnation spirit going on, I encourage each of us to turn and point each other to the cross and remind each other the mighty work that was done on the cross for each one of us. So I believe that if I believe that what the Lord is wants us to do, the alternative to this band-aid kind of Christianity where we're we're trying to patch every hole that gets poked out, this old wineskin Christianity, this old I, I love the picture of my, we we make a lot of holes in things at my house, and uh, you know sliding on the floor boys growing and 
just we get lots of holes. And so the the boys will be, Mama, can you fix this? And many times we've washed it so many times that Betty says, I'm sorry, but there's no way to fix this. But it's my favorite shirt. There's no way to fix it. That's the way our lives are sometimes. We have that old shirt on and we get saved and we we think, Oh, look! The big rip that I have here, the Lord just put his, his white robe patch right here. He patched it with his white robe patch. No, that's not what he does. Just like the prodigal son who came to Jesus or came to his father, he didn't just patch up the clothes from the pig pen. He gave him a new robe. And so I believe that it is so important for us to renew our mind to this truth, to understand that God didn't, doesn't just patch up, patch us up. The Bible tells us we are a new creation. The old things are gone, and behold, the new has come. And in the light of that, in the light of now, I'm no longer this person over here because of the work on the cross, The old Josh is gone, and the new Josh that's clothed in the righteousness of Jesus is here. Then, the work of God, that swelling, I loved the picture when I began to, as I meditated on it last week, it just made me so excited to think Rather than us who sing that song, holiness, holiness is what I long for, we don't go home and make a to-do list of all the things we need to do better. That's not that's the old wineskin. The new wineskin is as it's poured into the new wineskin, guess what happens? Just by virtue of it being inside, it begins to grow. That wineskin begins... I saw a picture and I want, I meant to bring it... But I mean, it's this old, this new wineskin is just like swollen. It's not breaking because it's a new wineskin. But it's, that's what the Spirit of God does in us. That's what the life of God does in us. As it's in us, it's not us working and trying and, and figuring out and, and having a to-do list of all the things we need to do better. It's the Spirit of God doing the work in us. And He expands His room in us. He, His work, the new wine of His Holy Spirit, it swells within us so that we, don't, we, we aren't who we were anymore. So I want to read a few verses real quickly. John 4, 14, and I'll post these up with the sermon, so if you don't, can't get there, you can read them later. John 4, 14 says, no, this is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of the water which I shall give to him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give will become in him a fountain springing up into everlasting life. Okay, compare the two. Old wineskins. The wine inside bursts out, it spills out, and it's wasted. The new life, we have an everlasting fountain inside of us. Not of us, 
Because the Bible says we all can say with Paul, I am convinced that in me dwelleth no good thing. There's not, not anything of me, but him in me bubbling out. And all of a sudden there's this everlasting supply of life that comes out of me because of him. Not because of me, but because of him. Again, John 7, 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. My father-in-law's favorite verse, I've been thinking about it with the boys in Mexico, was Amos 5.24. Amos 5.24. But let justice run down like water and righteousness as a mighty stream. I love those pictures. You can't control a river. You go down, I mean, I, you, you, we've all seen the rivers that come down from the mountain when they're swollen and you see the water, you can put, you could put a car in there and it would just carry the car. That's the reality of what it is to be a Christian. That, you compare that mighty river to our pitiful attempts to be more like Jesus. I will take this over that any day. That's what we, that's the reality. So let's just, then let, I want to read a few verses. I would encourage you, when you get home, if you have time, read Isaiah 43. The whole thing is amazing. But I took a few verses out of, of Isaiah 43. Uh, but now, thus saith the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And, through the, and, and the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor scorched, nor shall the flame scorch you. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Indeed, before the day was, I am He. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? Thus saith the Lord, who makes a way in the, in, who makes a way in the sea, and a path through the mighty waters who brings the chariot and horse. Do not remember the former things nor consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is what it is to be a Christian. And what I want to ask you is, why would we stay over here trying so hard? Holiness, holiness is what I'm striving for. It's what I want. That's true. We do want that. But we'll never get there on our own. We'll never be able. The, the reason that we believe in the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our life is for this very reason, that we can't do it on our own. It's His work inside of us. Working in us to change us and to make us daily more like Him. As many of you know, the song Defender has become a, a favorite song for my family because of uh, it was my brother Caleb's favorite song. And at his funeral, we... Uh, they sang this song, and the first verse speaks to the heart of this. 
you, Jesus, you go before I know that you've even gone to win my war. You came back with the head of my enemy. You came back and you called it my victory. Do you see what happened there? So often we think that it's us. We're working hard. We're struggling against sin. We want to do better. No, he's already gone out. He already has come back with the head of our enemy. He's already gone out and fought the battle and won. And he calls it our victory. That's the God we serve. That's the amazing reality of not that we don't have to live patching up ourselves, making ourselves better. We can allow him to make us new. And I think the saddest thing is this is right there waiting for each and every one of us. Every one of us. This reality of the new birth. We are, all of us that are saved, we are new. And so even worse than being old and staying old is being new and acting old. Do you see that? Do you see that we are new creatures? He's already done the work. And yet sometimes our minds still think like that old man. And you know, I know that today is Mother's Day. And I think that the Lord, I mean, that the Lord is blessed by mothers probably more than anybody else. I agree with Cliff. But I also believe that the devil probably fights mothers as hard as he fights anybody else. You know, it's really easy when you're at home and your ministry is changing diapers and getting stains off clothes and putting band-aids on skinned elbows and you see other people and they they post on Instagram Instagram's terrible for this. Oh, today I had 13 Bible studies and did 34 the, you know I'm not really sure any of those things really happen, but Instagram is really good at making you feel like I can't believe that everybody else can do all of this and all I can do is homeschool all my kids and do all, you know, when everybody and I have one of these conversations, because Betty follows all these really cool people on Instagram that have all these really neat crafts and this and that and the other thing. And it's really easy to, to, you see all the things they're doing and then Betty lists out all the things she did and I'm thinking, you did way more than them. What are you talking about? But the devil loves, I believe, to oppress mothers. I remember one conference, at the end of one of the conferences, we were all talking as a family, and all of the examples that were given of how to be a good Christian, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, we realized that most mothers couldn't do any of those things because they're too busy doing really important stuff. And so I want to encourage you 
that if you're a mother, or you're anybody actually, but it's Mother's Day, so I pick on mothers, and the devil says you're not doing enough, he's a liar. I am so thankful for the work that my mom did for me. I am so thankful that my mom was so in tune with me. When I went to college, I went to the university, but I came home every night. And my mom was so in tune with where I was at. I'd walk in the door. Jeez, son, what'd you look at? I can tell you thought about something, talked to somebody too long. She, I mean, it was amazing. It was like she had just, the Lord sent her an email with all the things she needed to ask me about. But you know the beautiful thing about it is? It kept, it, it got me through college. My mom was that example of Jesus to me. Over and over and over again. And I know all the moms, all the sisters in this room are exactly that way to their families. And so if the devil ever tells you you're not doing enough, it's a lie. Y'all are a blessing. And I want to close with one story, and I'll play a song, and then I'll be done. Actually, maybe I'll just send you the song. But I've been thinking about the story of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9. Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan, and he was lame. And he couldn't do anything. He couldn't walk. He couldn't. He was. And on top of everything else, all of Saul's line was killed, and he was the only one left. And David became king. One of the first things David did when he became king he says, Is there anybody? in the house of Saul, in the house of Jonathan, that I can bless. Yeah, there's this lame boy named Mephibosheth. He's he's Jonathan's son. And so they get him, and they bring him, and they put him at the king's table, and he he says, for the rest of your life, you're going to be taken care of. For the rest of your life, you're going to be just as if you're one of my children. And there's a song that I'll send you guys for the sake of time called Carried to the Table. It's one of my favorite songs. I cry every time I listen to it. But it talks about how that's who we are. Here we are. If we realize that we're nothing without him, then this new life becomes so much easier. If we realize that we're like Mephibosheth, that we're, we don't have a lot to bring to the table... We oftentimes, when we get in that old thinking, we think, oh, well, I can do this, and I can do this, and I haven't done that, and I, oh, that's not who we are. We are nothing without him. But yet, he still has carried us to his table, and he has made us whole, and he has set a table before us, and he has provided everything that we need. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, because you have provided everything that we have need of. Lord, you didn't give us a band-aid Christianity where we have to be quick to put all band-aids on every time we fall or every time we make a mistake. 
Lord, you've made us a new creature in Christ. You have, you, your finished work on the cross has paid for every sin that we've ever committed and ever will commit, Lord. It's under your blood. And I thank you, Lord God, for the reality that you are working in us. Your, your life is swelling up inside of us, changing us, making us into your image. And that we're, going, we're moving from glory to glory to glory because of you. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful Mother's Day and I pray that you would bless every single mother in this room, every single sister in this room. Lord, I thank you for them and I thank you for the great ministry that they have and, and uh, in all the different ways that you use them. I thank you, Lord, for my mom and for Betty, for our, my kid's mom, Lord, and I just thank you for the, Lord, just for the amazing blessing that they are. I thank you, Lord, because you're good. I pray you bless the rest of our day in Jesus' name. Amen.